Uh, we'll be mainly in Exodus 32, but I'm going to reread 1 John chapter uh, 1, uh, excuse me, chapter 2 and, and verses uh, 15 through 17 this morning uh, because it sets the, well, really the agenda here, you might say, of, of this message. As a matter of fact, this series of messages I'm doing, we had the first two last Sunday, but the Lord just seemed to put it on my heart, put it on my heart, and the more He gets it on my heart, the more I'm saying I'd almost like to transcribe the thing and then have the English teachers straighten out everything that I do on there, and uh, that's a full-time job <laughs> they do. Uh, but um, it's, it's still just something that's on my heart because of what I see, and we've titled this series The Continuing Strategy of Satan to Defeat Believers. But if I added to that title, I'd say to defeat believers and local churches. Not only defeat, destroy. That is Satan's strategy. And we see that strategy uh, in 1 John chapter 2 and verses 15 through 17, where he says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love uh, the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, we explained to you last week when he says the love of the Father is not in him, it simply means that although you say, oh, I love God. Well, your definition of God may be far different than what God's definition of love is. And he says, if you have this love in your heart for the world, then the love of the God is not in you. Because that goes against everything is God. That's the thing that's things very repulsive to God is this world system, this being relevant to the world, being like the world, being acceptable to the world, just makes God sick. It is abominable to Him, totally abominable, makes Him want to vomit. And I say, that's kind of hard words, aren't they? No, they're actually the way God feels about it. And so, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, uh, they are not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And we spent last week uh, really looking at how, how Adam and Eve were deceived. And basically, Eve was deceived by the devil by applying to the pride of life, the lust of the eyes, and the lust of the flesh. She gave in to all of it. Adam, his sin was more presumptuous than Eve's. Eve was tempted. Uh, Adam knew going in, this is totally wrong, but he did it because, maybe he didn't want to lose another rib, but I think it's because he didn't believe in God would uh, say he'd surely die. He didn't want to lose Eve and be alone. And so, whatever the reason is, we'll know that in heaven. But uh, he did, and that's affected all human history since that day. Since that day, all human history. And it's been a spiritual warfare between Satan and God in which man chooses which side he's going to be on. Satan promises so many things to people if they'll follow his way, but my Lord promises everlasting life. And that's the way 
I hope each of you have chosen and will choose to go if you have not. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we go into the uh, message this morning, I pray that Holy Spirit would make it clear to each one of us. Lord, uh, do the work that only you can do. I know I can't. So, Father, I just pray that you would. The Holy Spirit would speak to every heart, that it would be very personal. Lord, if you can just speak through me, through thy Holy Spirit being the voice, being the strength, being the power, that speaks to each heart, demands the attention of each one, and that you'd speak to their heart. It'll be something very personal between each person and you. And we'd ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Last week, we went on to Exodus 32. And just getting started there, we'd seen that they had made a golden calf. Moses is up in the mountain. He's up there for 40 days and 40 nights, up in the mountain. And God is giving him the Ten Commandments there as well as he's giving the law to him. He's up there, and then God says, all right, you've got to go back down. Go back down. Uh, these people going wild. We're going to read a little bit more about that in just a little bit. But they come to uh, Aaron. Aaron is supposed to be the high priest. Aaron is supposed to be in that group. He's second only to, to really Moses. And he is going down there. He's sitting with these people. And the people come to him and said, look, We've gathered together, we've talked. And you know, that's the way the devil's crowd does. They get together and they start talking to each other. They start gossiping. I've seen that split churches. I've seen that make people leave God's ministry and work. I've seen that do uh, a lot of destructive things over the years. I mean, if you're in uh, ministries uh, as long as I've been in it, then you find out that those things happen. And the devil just rejoices, especially if God's people listen to his talking and his things out there and they spread it to other people. They talk to other people and it destroys the ministry. And the, the heartbreak of that is those people have no idea that although they're saved in heaven one day at the judgment seat of Christ they'll be giving an account of that and they'll see the souls that did not receive Christ as Savior that could have been brought to Christ had they not followed Satan's directions. So it's, uh, it's, it's a very serious thing. Well, for the, the children of Israel, they're there to say, we don't think this Moses is going to come back down from the mountain. He's up there. He's probably died. He's been up there 40 days and 40 nights. We didn't see him take any food with him. He's probably dead. And so they talked to Aaron. Aaron says, okay, have everybody tear off those uh, earrings and, and the other things that got the gold and uh, we'll do something with it. No, they get the gold. They make it an image and it becomes a calf, a golden calf. And I think that's a very interesting thing because we told you that in Israel, I mean in Egypt, when Israel was in captivity in Egypt, what happened? In their captivity, they saw God when he come to deliver them. They had prayed and prayed. They besought God, deliver us from this. And when God does, they forgot to leave Egypt in Egypt. And so what happens is that uh, although they didn't participate in Egypt, they remember the things that they did. And one of the things they would do is uh, the golden calf. 
they had a golden calf and the dances, the drinking and everything else that went along with it. Israel said, oh, we can't do that while they're there. But now they're out in the desert. Moses isn't around. They're going to talk to Aaron. I don't know if Aaron's intimidated by them or what, but he kind of gives in to them. But then Aaron says, we're going to make a golden altar. He makes an altar and says, tomorrow is a feast day unto the Lord. And when you use that word Lord, if you see in your King James Bible there in Exodus 32, that it's uh, in all capital letters, L-O-R-D, which means the word Yahweh was used there. God Almighty, that's who it's talking about. And God Almighty delivered us out of that bondage. Yet I don't think there was a golden calf there when the Red Sea parted. There wasn't a golden calf there when the waters of Meribah that were so bitter were able to change them immediately when God told them what to do and they did it and it changed. The miracles that took place, the manna coming down from there, everything that happened was not by a golden calf. But they were giving praise and honor to that golden calf through all of that. And so this is how God delivered you through this. And of course that is always a blasphemy unto God. Now when God sees uh, Moses, he'll tell him, Moses, I'm going to destroy those people. They've already turned to worshiping these other gods. It's only been 40 days, and here they are doing this other stuff. They're, they've just gone so far away from God, and he's just ready to destroy them all. He says, Moses, I'll make of you a, a whole new nation. I'll make of you a nation, complete nation. That way, if he makes it of Moses, Moses is still the seed of Abraham. Uh, but there's just uh, one thing, though. Moses is the seed of Abraham, but that went from Abraham to Isaac, and then to Jacob, who is Israel. So some of those would have to be preserved so that the entire thing could continue to go on. But Moses interceded. He interceded, and we're going to see that in a few minutes, but he interceded for them and, and was able to keep God from destroying them right at that moment. He, he's an intercessor. And, you know, that is a good, strong thing about leadership. That's a good thing about uh, serving the Lord. It was a Moses that it took that was faithful, that did not compromise for the world, did not try to emulate the world, did not try to be like the world. That is a man that stood for God, though so many that went against their flesh when they wanted to act like what they saw in Egypt that ended up destroying Egypt. They wanted that for themselves. And so they said, the only way we can do this is if we put Jesus' name to it. If we put Jesus' name to it, then, then that will make it all right. Our, if we put God's name, we say God delivered us through this golden calf. So we're still giving glory to God. Whenever you make your personal life, your church life, anything, emulate the world in any way, you're spitting in the face of God and saying, I'm going to have it my way. And you've given in to that temptation of the pride of life, the, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes. Now, say, preacher, I don't agree. Well, you're not agreeing or disagreeing with me. It's God's Word. And I'm just trying to show you that 
down through this entire time, this is what happens through the years. Uh, right now I'm looking at Exodus 32. Later I'm going to show you another thing in Jeremiah. The same thing happened. I'm going to show you later in another portion in Malachi, the same thing happened. I'm going to show you in the New Testament, same thing happened. Whenever the church has been corrupted, whenever the, what God has made has been corrupted, and they think it's for the best, they think that makes us relevant to the world, those are the things that destroyed it time after time after time. It's history. And the one thing we learn from history is that people are too dumb to learn from history. Okay? And so that's the way it goes on time after time after time. So uh, Moses interceded. Now that makes me concerned as well. What about America? Who do we have in leadership? Does America lack that kind of a leader? Uh, what about in government? Do we lack that kind of a leader? Uh, what about in the local church? Do we lack those leaders? What about in the home? Do we lack that leader that says, this is our standard, this is where we're going to stand on the Word of God, this is the way it's going to be? And that's what the one parent says, and the other parent says, well, my children want to do this. Now, don't be that way. And to satisfy the lust, the pride of the flesh for the child, the lust of the eyes, you're willing to destroy their spiritual life and perhaps even see your grandchildren go to hell because you gave in to that. It's not worth it. It is not worth it. And so uh, you might say this, is, this whole series is going to be a warning series of what can happen, and hopefully we can avoid it. That's what I want us to do. I'm, I'm not going to be happy if America falls, if your home falls, or if the churches fall. I am not going to be happy about that at all. And don't think that makes a preacher happy because he got it right on that thing and see, now they're paying for it. The children of Israel, they're very excited to do what they're about to do. I mean, they say, hey, look what we're doing. This is us. Man, we're doing all right. We're going to get to do this. So they're excited about doing it. But a man of God knows different. And he stands on the word of God by the power of God. Not his own word, not his own power, but the power of God and his word. That's the only way that any preacher or anybody else can stand and stand rightly consistently. It must be on the Word of God. And we must have our desires in the things of God if we're going to be successful and we're going to be victorious. You see, the Lord is not trying to satisfy our lust. He's trying to meet our needs. And He will. They will rise early in the morning. Because if it was, hey, let's get up in the morning early and have a prayer time. Uh, let's get up early tomorrow and let's just study the Bible together. That probably doesn't happen. 
hey, we're going to get up and, and we're going to have this special thing for uh, this God. Boy, is this going to be great. We are going to have the golden calf up there and we're going to have the worship of the golden calf. The, uh, now, don't forget God brought us here, but through the golden calf. And, of course, they have to, the person has to lie to himself to go against the right things of God. They have to lie and give in to the devil, those spirits, those evil spirits that would tempt them to go that way because they enjoy being relevant to the world more than they want to be obedient to Christ. And that's, that's the difference that comes in. Uh, so they are going to rise up early. And then that is followed by just finding out a way to perform in a way that they say, well, this is our walk with God, and this is how we are supposed to walk with God in this life. Because if you walk with God in this life this way, it will really be joy for you. Uh, it's not joy for the Lord. And for a Christian, the Bible's clear, Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And understand, God's joy will always, always, always be holy. He is righteous in all of His ways and holy in all His works. You say, well, I don't believe that. Then you just said the Bible's a lie in Psalms 145.17 because that just described about God. Well, God should compromise. No, Satan should compromise and say, I need to get right. I need to help the people get right. The compromise needs to be on the other side of compromising their morals and their standards that it may go along with righteousness and, and holiness instead of the other way. And so they rose up early in the morning. Verse 6 says of uh, verse, uh, chapter 32, And they rose up early in the morning, on the morrow, and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And they laid the burnt offerings and the peace offerings right there at that altar. But understand, those burnt offerings, those peace offerings that they're offering which was a part of Jewish worship, they are offering it to this golden calf that they're saying, oh, well, this, this is all right because we're doing it in the name of God. And God really used this golden calf. There's no golden calf around when Moses is there, when they're going the right way and God's doing things for them. Worshiping the law, they had their burnt offerings and they had their peace offerings. The burnt offerings were for sin. A person would come uh, during the week and there was a sin in their life and they wanted just to deal with that. There was the burnt offering. Others offered peace offerings. I've wandered from you, Lord. Now I'm coming home. And now it's the idea of just reestablishing my walk and my fellowship with God. You know, I believe that uh, although we don't do that on altars today because the Lamb of God has already been offered for our, our sin, 
And that Lamb of God's blood is open to restore the fellowship to. That's why the blood of the Lamb of Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God is still on the altar in heaven, that mercy seat. We are cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so he is still restoring people to righteousness and fellowship with God. Because anytime the devil says, do you see what they did? How could they be welcomed into heaven? And all the Lord does is point to the blood because it's paid for. And I want fellowship with them. I not only want the sin taken care of, I want service and a walk with them. I want them to walk with me. And the only way you're going to hear the voice of God is that you're in His Word. From That's where we get the voice of God, is from the Word of God. Now these were sacred offerings, uh, the burnt and the peace offering. But now they're being used to be offered unto a false God. One that actually isn't God. I don't know about if they thought about that in this day, but when I think about it, my God made me. I didn't make Him. He created me. I did not create Him. So I just go along with what God says is probably right. Not probably, it is right. Okay, and so God is right. And so uh, that lets us see that uh, how that sets with God. How does that set with God? What is God's reaction? When they say this is to our God. Oh, this is to all my God. This is to Yahweh who delivered us by this golden calf. What does God react? Verse 7. And the Lord, again all caps, said unto Moses, Go get thee down for thy people, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt. They have corrupted themselves. Uh, God called it corruption what they were doing. They were doing His name. That even made it worse. God called it corruption. It's not I called it corruption. God called it corruption. If God calls it corruption, it is corruption. Okay? Uh, so, God calls it corruption when worship is turned to please the flesh and emulate the world. Look, these, these children of Israel for days, for years, I mean, they're 400 years in captivity, and they saw the worship. They saw it. They saw the party time worship. And they probably thought, okay, well, if we get on our own, we can do that ourselves. Well, it doesn't occur to them God destroys Egypt. He poured out every plague that you see in, in the book of Exodus that happens to Egypt is a plague that involves one of their gods that they worship. Every one of the plagues is something against the gods that they worship. That ought to tell anybody something. They lived there. They saw it. Now, the Egyptians didn't want them participating in it, but they saw it. They could watch it. 
And so, again, God calls it corruption, it's evil, it's filthy, it's sin. When worship is turned to please the flesh and emulate the world that we might excite our own flesh. It is sinful and it is just as bad as what the children of Israel were doing here. Let us learn from a New, passage, uh, New Testament passage here, and it's in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. I'll probably expand a little bit on this tonight, but I just want to read that passage right now. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, I hope you see what the flesh does. When you give in to the lust of the flesh, you're restricting the spirit within you. We were created in God's image. God is a spirit. The spirit we have, it's not the body that we, in, we got when we were born. It wasn't the body of Adam and Eve that was fashioned like unto God. No, God is a spirit. That body, they did not have a living body or a living soul until God breathed into their nostrils the breath of life, spirit. And they had that spirit. And the day they died was the day they sinned, but their body didn't die, their soul didn't die that day, but their spirit was died in that it was separated from God because death means separation. They were separated from God, and they'd be forever separated in hell unless there was a deliverer, a Savior. It's hard to just say that about what happened with Adam and Eve without finishing the story of Genesis chapter 3 when Satan says, no, God says to Satan, okay, to the serpent, you know, when he's speaking to the serpent, he was speaking to Satan. All right, the seed of a woman, no, women don't have the seed in the birth, it's from the man, but you see, now the Holy Spirit came upon Mary and that holy thing that would be born of her would be called the Son of God. The Holy Spirit just basically, as a spirit, formed a seed inside of Mary. God the Father took over, forming that baby throughout the rest of that nine-month period. On the cross, Jesus said to his Father, Thou art he that drew me out of the womb. The entire Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, Three divine persons in one holy divine essence. And they would be the deliverance, the seed of the woman that would save the soul of men. And so he says to Satan, yep, he's going to, you're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to bruise your head. And you know, we have another symbolism, and I'm going to, Start closing up with this. I know Mike Pelletier said that all the time. <laughs> okay. But I'm, I actually am going to start closing with this. I said start closing. That's start. Okay. Uh, don't time my closing. Okay. <laughs> but really, the story of David and Goliath. Goliath, again, is a picture of the world. Sin that defeats the people of God, that defeats local churches. David, just a little boy, 
will come with his sling. He'll get Satan with that stone between his temple there and knock him out, take his sword out of his own sword, take it out and chop off his head. Now the Bible there in 1 Samuel 17 tells us that David gave all of, of Goliath's armor, everything to Saul. But there's one thing that he did not give to Saul. He took himself. It was the head, the skull of Goliath. And the Bible says he carried it back to Jerusalem. What? Jerusalem? Yeah. But David didn't live in Jerusalem. He lived in Bethlehem. That's just five miles away. But he lived in Bethlehem. Why does he carry it to Jerusalem and bury it in Jerusalem? Why does he do it there? My personal belief is, is that he buried it on a mountain. I believe that he buried it on Golgotha Mountain, the place of the skull, as it's referred to today. We think it's because of the eyes and the style of it, but on the other hand, the Muslims have been attacking that so often they've, they've tried to mess it up so it doesn't look like that anymore and make it look worse because it's supposed to be important to Christians. I think that he buried it right there in Golgotha. And when Jesus came off the cross, bruised his heel, but look what happened to Satan. He lost the battle. That's why whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. See, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses me from my sin. The blood of Jesus Christ is the propitiation, the entire payment for my sin. And the blood of Jesus Christ was the life, the new life put in me, for the life is in the blood, the Bible tells us. And that new eternal life was the life given me of his spirit, given me a new man, a new person, a new nature. Even though I had sinned, boy, you know what? I think every one of us would walk out of the auditorium if our sin, sins that we've committed over our lifetime, was displayed on these two screens up here, and it's just an ongoing video, you'd walk out of here, probably move from Ocala, move out of Florida. I, I would too. I'd be so ashamed. But then I could look at that, see what he has saved me from, Grace that is greater than all my sin. Oh, what glory when my Savior died upon the tree and he rose up from the dead for you and me. To do all of that, what is my responsibility? First, to confess that I'm a sinner. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, the Bible says. That's, that's, that's the Bible. That's God again. All have sinned. Didn't say we all have, oh, this one big sin. But he says for the wages of sin. He didn't say, well, if you 
have a problem with drunkenness, drugs, or you're an adulterer, or you're this, you're that, then, then oh, no, you can't be saved. No, he didn't say that. For the wages of sin, doesn't matter what the sin is, for the wages of sin is death, final, complete separation from God forever in the lake of fire. That's the wages of sin. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Oh, wow. Is it deserved? No. But do you understand the love of God to do that for us? For his son who knew no sin was made sin for us. That doesn't mean he became a sinner for us. No, he was made sin. Our sin was placed upon him, made sin for us in that the wrath of his father, of almighty wrath being poured out on his human spirit and human body would be right there and then to take everything I deserved. He took it on him. You think of your worst sin right now. He died for it. He died for it because he loves you and he wants to save you. But if you reject that, the love of the Father is not in you. Now, yeah, it's bad enough for Christians. They, they give in to the lust of the flesh. They give in to the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And they want that uh, sinful, filthy, rotten, low-down worship in their churches. That's, that's a shame. And Satan's used that strategy, not in this modern day. He's used it from way back there here in Exodus. Down through the ages, he's used that. For a Christian to go that other way and he's actually saved, that is saved so as by fire. Not going to hell, but no reward outside of everlasting life. But if you're not sure if you died today that heaven's your home, I'd much rather be that Christian that's so filthy and low down and rotten, but is still saved, is actually saved. I'd rather be him and in his shoes than in your shoes the day you die. Because there is no escape. One second, the very second your spirit leaves, not just one second, the very second your spirit leaves your body. It's going to go to God if you're saved. It's going to be delivered to hell if you're not saved. He died on a cross so you could be saved. He had a human body to feel everything that you would have felt if you had been on a cross. But he did it for you. He did it for me. And he'll save you if you come to him. Say, Lord, I want to turn from my life of sin. I want to turn from all that and turn to you as my Lord and Savior. One thing you find is that you can't turn from your sin in your own strength. You've got to have the power of God, and He can do it. He can cleanse you of your sin. He can give you everlasting life. People may not forgive you, but people don't give you everlasting life. Jesus does. And if you come to Him, He'll do it for you today. I hope you'll come. Let's bow our heads, please.